Continuing our series called Q&A, which sounds like you're asking questions and I've got the answers, but as you know, that's usually not the case. Uh, we ask a lot of questions. The Bible has the answers, but this series really has been focusing on the heavy, serious, universal questions that are asked very specifically in the Bible. We're looking at those, and this is the last one in our series. It's a question that Jesus actually asks and the question is, who do you say that I am? We'll get into the passage here in a little bit, but I actually want you to take a moment to ask yourself that particular question. In fact, it'd be a good idea for you to write it down. Put it into your phone. Take a pen out of the little chair in front of you. Write it down. When I say, Jesus, what comes to mind? What do you think of Jesus at the top? Right off the tip, what do you think about Christ? What would you put down? What, what is it that stands out? Because anybody who's ever heard anything about Jesus should be able to say something. We will say something, and it might be positive. It, it might be negative. If you're a Christian, you'll certainly have something to say, but what, will, what would it be? What would be the thing that stands out the most to you? There's this quote by H.G. Wells. Do you know who H.G. If you don't know who H.G. Wells is, you do know who H.G. Wells is. He wrote The Invisible Man, The Island of Dr. Moreau, Time Machine, right? He's an author, historian. Uh, here's what he had to say. H.G. Wells said, I am a historian. I am not a believer. But I must confess as a historian that this penniless preacher from Nazareth is irrevocably the very center of history. Jesus Christ is easily the most dominant figure in all history, which is high praise. That's, I mean, that sounds like a very elevated statement. He holds Jesus in high esteem. Unfortunately, that's not enough. In fact, this is a very small understanding of who Jesus is. It sounds good, but it's very, very small. You see, we as Christians, we're way too eager. Anytime a, a historical figure, uh, maybe a pop culture icon, a musician, an actor, or a politician, some uh, sports figure, if they start to mention Jesus in a positive sense, we all get kind of stupid. We're like, oh, this is exciting. They're going to say something good about Jesus, and they'll say something. They'll say something elevated, something decent, you know, elevated above everybody else, but it's still too small. And the problem with this is the principle that I want us to hold on to. The principle I want us to hold on to is found in the passage we're going to be looking at, Mark chapter 8. And the principle is this, what you think of Jesus will shape your life and your eternity. Not what everybody, th what you think of Jesus will shape your life and eternity. Look at the passage with me, Matthew, or Mark chapter 8, verses 27 through 30. It says, And Jesus went on with his disciples to the village of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others, one of the prophets. And Jesus asked them, Who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, You are the Christ. And he strictly charged them, to tell no one about him. This is God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. 
but we need your help. We pray that you would teach us not just the meaning of the passage, Lord, but that you would show us the implications of it, that you would show us what we need to do in response to your word. We pray that you would change our heart, that you would work great things in each of us today. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so the last sermon in this series before we get back into the book of Acts is dealing with this particular question, who do you say I am? But what we're going to do is what we've been doing with most of these passages and these sermons. We're going to look at the passage, right, get a good but brief understanding of the passage, and then we're going to spend some time on the question itself and what this means for us. So in the passage, we see that Jesus and the disciples are doing their thing. They're doing the thing that they, that they do, that they've been doing. Jesus is preaching, he's teaching, he's confronting bad theology and bad leadership among the Jewish people. Uh, he's healing people, he's casting out demons, he's showing compassion on those that are destitute. He's doing all of these things. The disciples are with him. People are being changed. Lives are being saved. Souls are being saved. But they're walking a lot. They're walking a lot. They're talking a lot because there's a whole lot of time. Like, like you, it's like a road trip, right? You've got time to kill. They don't have book on tape or an iPods back then, so they talk. Now, Jesus takes the opportunity to say, okay, disciples, what's the buzz? What are people saying? What are people saying about me, the Son of Man? What do people say? Who do they think I really am? That's the question he's asking his disciples. And the disciples lay it out for him in verses 27 and 28. What are the people saying? Good news, Jesus. It's positive. It's positive. In fact, at this point in Jesus' ministry, right, it was a three-year-long run, Jesus is pretty popular with the average person, right? Not so much with the, the scribes and the Pharisees, okay? But, but with the general people, he's popular. Why? Well, because he's miraculously providing food, <laughs> uh, wine, that makes a guy popular. Uh, beyond that, he's healing people of their sicknesses and their diseases. He's liberating them from demonic oppression. He's confronting corrupt leadership, which everybody likes to watch. And he's showing compassion to sinners. He's popular, right? He's popular. And so what are people saying? Well, uh, Peter says, well, they're, they're saying you're John the Baptist. Why? Why would he be John the Baptist? Well, John the Baptist was the most recent prophet. After a 400-year period of silence from God, John the Baptist shows up. And John the Baptist was popular. People were drawn to him, partly because he was wacko. I don't mean that in like an intellectual sense. I mean, he was bizarro. He, he lived out in the wilderness. He wore a tunic made of rough hair. He, he, he ate locusts and wild honey. He was an extreme figure, so he drew a crowd, and he preached repentance, and he was preparing people for the arrival of Jesus. He was popular. Lots of people were getting baptized by John the Baptist. I wasn't totally popular because uh, he was ultimately arrested and then beheaded for his ministry. That's so what people are saying, like, wow, man, we see Jesus, and it's like the spirit of John the Baptist is in Jesus, which might sound impressive if Jesus were just any other regular guy, but that's really insulting and blasphemous if you know who Jesus really is. Other people are saying, like, no, you're, you're Elijah. Jesus is Elijah, right, the 9th century B.C. prophet, right, the prophet that performed lots of miracles, who took on the prophets of Baal, and he didn't die. Elijah essentially ascended into heaven without tasting death. 
So they, this is a big one. They're like, aha, Elijah's back. That's, that's who Jesus is. Other people are saying, well, he's one of the other prophets. In other words, he is some sort of prophet, a prophet of God, blessed by God, anointed by God. This, these are positive thoughts, but it's a low view of Jesus. We get so eager, like, oh, they're saying good things about Jesus, but these are positive, yes, but they are ultimately such a low view of Jesus that they are blasphemous. Jesus is not merely a prophet. He is bigger. He is bigger than a preacher of the scripture. He is the author of scripture. It's his word that he is preaching. That's why when he preaches, he preaches as one with authority because it all came from him. Yes, he healed the sick of their temporal diseases and illnesses. But beyond that, he heals souls and provides eternal life that cannot come to an end. Yes, he was compassionate to the destitute, but he goes beyond that to forgive sins. Jesus said, I, I have the authority to forgive sins. Only God has that authority. And here's Jesus claiming it for himself and demonstrating that he has that authority through his miracles and preaching. Positive thoughts on Jesus. I mean, I guess it's better than persecution, maybe. But ultimately, it's... It's a complete misunderstanding of who Jesus is. To see Jesus was to see God. To hear Jesus was to hear the voice of God. He is far bigger than the masses understood then or understand now. So Peter tells Jesus what people are saying, and Jesus says, okay, who do you say that I am? What do you guys say? You guys are with me 24-7. You're up close. You're praying with me. I'm praying for you. You're with me in this ministry and these miracles. You're seeing all of the teaching. You're listening intently to it. Who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Christ. If you look at the parallel passage, the parallel passage is Matthew 16, verse 16 specifically, you get a little more information. You hear more of what Peter had to say here, right? This is just a sort of an excerpt. Peter says to Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter understands that Jesus is the Christ. It's, this, is, this is not right here how Peter feels about Jesus. This is who Jesus is, the Christ it's a formal title, Jesus Christ. Christ is not his last name. If you're new to the Christian faith or you're new to church, you might think that Christ is his last name. It's not his last name. Christ is a title. His name would have been Jesus of Nazareth. Or people who didn't know that his father was the heavenly father and they thought of Joseph, they would have thought of him as Jesus bar Joseph, Jesus son of Joseph. His name is Jesus. His title is Christ. And Christ means Messiah, formal title. You are the Christ. You are the one who bears that title. You are the one that had been promised. All of the prophets had been predicting and prophesying about your arrival, about your work, about your saving work, your atoning work, the kingdom that you would establish. You are the fulfillment. You are the Christ. So this idea that Jesus is the son of God, he, Jesus is the son of man, these are ways in which Jesus would be pointing to his title throughout his ministry. Let me give you two passages to consider, just that help us to see 
what Peter is thinking of, at least, or at least what we think Peter is thinking of, certainly what, what those who had embraced Jesus as the Christ have in mind when Jesus uses these titles for himself. In Daniel chapter 7, Daniel has lots of visions, right? And in this vision, we have the Ancient of Days. That's a title for God, which is like one of the coolest titles for God, the Ancient of Days. Sounds metal. I like that. God has all these names. That's one of my favorites. So the Ancient of Days is in in these visions. But then we read this, we read of this vision. This is uh, Daniel 7, 13. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. So he's like one of us. But he came up to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him, to this Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed This is why Jesus calls himself the son of man so much, because people who are paying attention, people who had been in the word, knowing about the anticipation of the arrival of this Messiah, they would go, that's what Jesus is talking about. He is the Christ. Another big one, and you've probably heard it if you spent time in church before, uh, Isaiah 53, one through six. Here is a prophecy that was given hundreds of years before Christ. 53, verse one, who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant, like a young root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows acquainted with grief as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is a rich, detailed prophecy about the one who would come, the suffering servant, the Messiah, who would not be seen as some glorious, mighty, conquering king, but who would be rather plain looking. He would look normal. In fact, he would suffer and be crucified. He would be considered a cursed, stricken, and afflicted by God, but but his suffering would be for our healing, for our benefit. He would be our savior, our, our substitute. They have prophecies like these in their hearts and in their minds when they're waiting for the Messiah and Jesus shows up and only those who get the connection go, you are the Christ. To see you is to see the fulfillment of the promises. You are not just a prophet. You are the promise of the prophet. You are the fulfillment of those promises. So that's the story so far. Jesus says, what's the buzz? They're like, they think of you pretty highly. They think you're a prophet. Okay, wrong. What do you think? You are the Christ. Great. And then what does Jesus say in verse 30? Don't tell anybody. It's weird, right? I do not like that. That, that, that's, that, that's to me. Jesus does this from time to time. He'll tell people. He'll say like, wow, you are the son of God. And Jesus will be like, shh, be chill right now. Don't say anything. Just go. Just go. 
Repent no more. Sometimes he does that. I also like that sometimes people are like, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to tell people. I'm going to tell people anyways. That's totally what I would do. I would, tot- I would absolutely like, I hear you, Jesus. Yes, thank you. I love you. You are the Christ. But I'm totally not going to do what you said. And I am going to tell everybody what I had just learned. Uh, that, that's just because I'm weak that way, I guess. Some people are that way. But he tells Peter not to. And the reason that Jesus says, don't tell anybody that I'm the Christ is because this formal title Christ, which means Messiah, had a very specific cultural understanding. Like people, people generally thought that the Messiah who would come would be a political ruler. He would overthrow the Roman government, the Roman Empire, liberate the Jewish people, and establish another uh, earthly reign for the people of God And Jesus knows, like, listen, if you start saying, oh, he's the Christ, he's the Messiah, people are immediately going to think, oh, he's a political operative. He's he's, he's establishing a worldly kingdom. And Jesus is not doing that. He's establishing a spiritual kingdom. And he also knows that if they start to say he's the Christ and people think that he's going to start a political empire, that they will kill him. And while, yes, that is why Jesus came, was to die... It wasn't time yet for him to die. So he says, be quiet. Most of the time, people listen to him. Sometimes they don't, and they blab anyway. So that's the passage. What's the question? The question that Jesus asks is, who do you say that I am? And so this is for us. This is for you, right? Like, I'm not talking in the abstract here. I'm talking very specifically. You need to be answering this question. Who do you say that Christ is? What do you believe about Jesus? Because there are generally, as I, as I see it, there are generally four ways in which people respond. You might think there's 10, I mean, whatever. But I, I basically boil it down to four. Four ways that people respond. Some people dismiss Jesus, just dismiss him outright. They're like, whatever, don't care, don't have any thoughts at all. Uh, some esteem him highly right? Have positive views of Jesus. Some people hate Jesus, and some people worship him as Lord and God. Now, maybe you are a person that dismisses Jesus. Maybe you're like, hey, listen, man, I don't uh, don't hate him. I don't love him. I definitely don't worship him. I just don't care. Maybe you've heard some of the things that were said about Jesus. Maybe, maybe you haven't, but you just put him out of your mind. And if you are the kind of person that sees Jesus as irrelevant and you dismiss him, you might then conclude, well, there is no way then in which Jesus and my thoughts of Jesus will shape my life or my eternity because he's not involved at all. But I will tell you, if you are dismissing Jesus like that, and he is not a part of your life or your thinking at all. He is having an impact on the shape of your life because the place that Jesus is supposed to occupy in your heart is being occupied by a different God. In other words, you are giving this central place in your life to something else. The Bible refers to these things as idols. It can be a person, it can be a thing, it could be an idea or a pursuit. There is something that is first, that is king, that is reigning in your life. It's supposed to be the Lord Jesus Christ. And I know you would say, well, I don't believe that, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't matter if you believe it or not. What matters is, is it true? Is it real? And by, by removing Jesus, his absence shapes your life by ensuring that something is occupying the throne that he is supposed to be sitting on. So some are going to dismiss him, and I understand. You're not mad. You just don't care. Some esteem him highly, right? 
These are all kinds of people in our culture give lots of lip service to Jesus. And I don't mean that in a totally negative sense. I mean, they, they have positive thoughts. They think he's a good teacher or a good example, right? Great example. And Jesus was, of course, a great example. The problem is if, you're, if you merely esteem him like the people in Jesus' day were esteeming him, if you merely have good thoughts of him because you think he's a positive example, what you've done is you have turned Jesus into a symbol instead of a savior. I don't need a symbol. Batman is my symbol. I like Batman as a symbol. If I need a symbol, Batman. That's a great, that's a great symbol. Uh, what I need is a savior. What you need is a savior. Somebody that actually takes away your guilt. Someone who actually saves you from the curse. You need somebody to rescue you, to redeem you, to actually change you. That's what we need. And if he is only a good example to follow, he is just a symbol. And the problem with this is that it now shapes your life because you have an unwarranted confidence when it comes to Jesus that is based on your superficial understanding of who he is. I'm not saying that to dog you. I've been in far worse places than that with Jesus. I'm just saying that like it, it gives you a sense of confidence when it comes to Jesus when you have no reason to have it because you do not yet know who he really is. Some people dismiss Jesus. Some people esteem him. Some people hate Jesus, like the scribes and the Pharisees. Now, if you're one of those, I'm finding these people on Twitter now. Stop saying that the Pharisees hated Jesus. Not all of the Pharisees hated Jesus. Okay, fine. Not all of the Pharisees hated Jesus. Almost all of the Pharisees hated Jesus. How about that? Is that fair? Can we relax now? We can, see, we can speak in overstatements, okay? It's fine. Generalities are fine here. Okay, so, so many of the Pharisees or anybody that occupied positions of authority where Jesus was, was challenging them, they didn't like Jesus very much. The crowds loved Jesus. He was the good guy, upsetting the power structures. Of, fine. But some people hated him. And there were two reasons, I think, that they hated Jesus. They hated Jesus for who he was, or they hated Jesus for who they thought he was, right? Sometimes they, they hated Jesus because of his teaching and his influence, right? So the things that he was saying and doing, the teaching, they hated. It contradicted their teaching. It exposed them to be either hypocrites or heretics. So they didn't like his teaching, and they didn't like his influence because people were starting to show up and follow Jesus. Or they didn't like their misunderstanding of him. So it wasn't even that they got him right. They thought that he's going to be this political operative, that he's going to try and stage some sort of revolution. And so they wanted to shut him down. And it's the same today. People, people don't like Jesus because of who he is or what his influence is. Or they don't like him because of their misunderstanding of who he is. I see this a lot. People will say things like, well, Jesus was bigoted and hateful because he said, the only way to the Father is to come through me. And other people uh, will say, like, well, I, I, I don't like, that's a pretty, pretty fair statement about what Jesus said, right? It's a quote of what Jesus said. But other people will say, like, well, Jesus obviously was a person that delighted in overthrowing not only man-made religion, but political structures. And then they create this whole version of Jesus that some love and some hate. Look, 
I hated Jesus, not because of who he really is. I hated Jesus because of who I thought he was. I hated Jesus. I hated the church. I hated people like you. And it wasn't because I had done such research and I had such a a big brain and I really understood all the intricacies of the Christian faith. It was because I was arrogant while being ignorant. And I allowed my my false assumptions about Jesus to, to move me to a place where I hated him. Maybe that's you. Maybe you really hate Jesus. But maybe it's not even the Jesus that you hate. Maybe it's a caricature that you've created or that some other bad religious group has given. Some people worship Jesus. They worship him. I mean, we worship him as Lord and God. And I'll tell you why some worship him. Some people wind up worshiping Jesus, right, which is what we're all called to do. They wind up worshiping Jesus because they begin to see and embrace everything that the Bible says about Jesus, that he is bigger than we can imagine. But he is as big as has been revealed. We we know what the Bible says, right, in part at least, right? He is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is the creator of all things, but he is also the Christ who redeems all things. He is the Messiah. He is the mediator. He is the bread of life, and he is the fountain of living waters. He is the word. He is the rock. He is the head of the church. He is the alpha and the omega. He is our advocate. He is our prophet, our priest, and our king. He is the good shepherd. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is Emmanuel. He is I am. He is Savior. He is Lord, and so much more. The people who worship Jesus are those who begin to understand that he is the Christ, the Son of God. God in the flesh, who is far greater than we can begin to understand. So we have this, and we affirm it, we see it, and we are moved to a place of worship. So again, what do you say? Who is Jesus? What do you write down? Do you look back to what you wrote down earlier, and you go, I would, maybe I would change it now. Maybe I would say a few other things. Or maybe you just can't stop writing, Maybe once you begin to write, the first thing that comes to mind about Jesus, maybe it's Lord, but then you also think, but he's also friend, but he's also shepherd, he's, he's savior, right? Like, like, you can keep going, right? Maybe, maybe there is so much that you understand about Jesus that it just keeps pouring out. This is why we worship. But we need to ask ourselves this question again and again. Who is Jesus? Not who is Jesus in my opinion. Not how do I feel about Jesus, but who is Jesus revealed in Scripture? Who is he? Because here's the problem with our confession. Even if you're a Christian and your confession is accurate, even if it's, if it's true, oftentimes our confessions, they, uh, they, get, they get cloudy. Our confessions get cloudy. It's like... Uh, Things get hazy over time. We get comfortable with the confession, with the articulation of the truth, right? We just, and it's almost like we get to a place where we are so comfortable with our understanding of Jesus that it becomes old hat and we stop even thinking about it. It's like our affirmation of Jesus is, it's it's less of a confession and it's more of an affirmation of our affiliation, right? 
Oh, like I'm with team, I'm on team Jesus. It's good. It's like you like the bears. It's like, okay, identify as a loser. That's fine. I like the bears, so take it easy. I'm just saying, like, you, I get it. I get it. Like, you're like, oh, it's just like a political party. Like, oh, well, I vote Republican or Democrat. It's like our confession of Christ gets cloudy. It gets weak over time if we don't stay on it, if we aren't constantly looking to see all of the things that Scripture tell us about Jesus so that we can hold him not just in high regard, but highest regard, that he would have absolute supremacy in our hearts and lives just like he has in all creation. Does who Jesus is shape you and your life? It certainly does, but I mean, to what degree? Do you believe him? If you're a Christian, I know you believe in him, but do you believe him? Like when Jesus says things, like you read the word and Jesus makes promises, he says things. Do you believe him or do you not? Because I know for a fact that sometimes we come to a place where I believe in Jesus, but I'm kind of doubting what he said here because it's not, it's not, feeling true. It's not proving itself to be true in my life, and we begin to doubt. Do you believe? I'm not asking, do you believe perfectly? Who does? I don't. But do you believe? Do you love Jesus? Again, not perfectly, but do you have any kind of love for Jesus? You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will obey me, because Jesus is not like any other person or being. He is God in the flesh. Do you obey him? Do you worship him? Does Christ shape your life? Does who he is shape your life, shape your relationships? Does he shape you in your vocation or in your work? Does he shape you in your dreams, aspirations, and goals? Let me put it this way. What you and I ultimately really need here are to become the best theologians we can be. Not ivory tower, though that sounds cool, not ivory tower scholastic theologians that are divorced from reality. By the way, that's a caricature. Most of the robust theologians that I know are pious, godly, sincere men and women who love the Lord. To be a theologian is... Theology is what? It is the knowledge of God personally experienced, publicly expressed. It's derived from Scripture, right? So to be a theologian means you know God, right? So that the more you know God, theology, the more you can experience him. And we need to focus on the area of Christology, that is the doctrine of Christ, who he is. Who do you say that Christ is? What comes to mind? What did you write down? Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That's what Paul thinks. 
And it's not because Paul is better than us. It's because Paul continued to grasp the supremacy of Christ, who he really is. What you think of Jesus will shape your life. The better understanding that we have of Christ, the more we will experience of him, his presence, the more it will impact our words, our prayers, our very hearts. See, we want to encourage people to look to Jesus, right, to be saved, but it's got to be the true Jesus. Look to Jesus. Listen to Jesus. Trust in this Jesus. And my prayer is, is that our confession, that our confession would be a sign of a consecrated heart, not just merely an articulated theology. Listen, good theology is easy. I can tell you what books to read, right? Get the great theology. Read your Bible. You read the right books. You can get it all together. Write it all down. Easy peasy. But a consecrated heart, that's when theology or the truth in God's word is doing its work inside of us, in our souls. Our confession of Jesus to say that he is the Christ should come from a consecrated heart. My prayer is that our confession of Christ would be a public profession that is willing to stand up against all of the elevated confessions of Jesus that make him a little better than everybody else, but ultimately not God. I pray that it would be a public profession that allows us to stand up even and confront those who hate Jesus with the truth. And my prayer is that our confession of Christ would be an open invitation to everyone who hears it, that this Jesus saved a sinner like me, and he can save a sinner like you. What you think of Jesus will shape your life today and your eternity because he gives you both, and only he can redeem both. So let's look to Christ together. Let's trust his word and respond in faith and repentance. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we ask that that you would teach us today, that you would instruct us that you would change our minds wherever necessary, that you would change our hearts, that you would renew us and revive us. Lord, we pray that Jesus would be precious to everyone here. God, we pray that you would be at work in every single individual's heart here today, in all of us. God, would you, this is not hard for you to do, God, only you can do this. God, would you work in every person here that we would draw close to your son, Jesus, and be changed, and bring him glory. In Jesus' name, amen.